When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And is the review of the Austrian Grand Prix and a race that had many, many talking points that we're going to get into. One of which, of course, another dominant performance by Max Verstappen in the Red Bull. A lot of us expected it following what we saw at the Syrian Grand Prix. And it seems like we got that in in even more dominant fashion, perhaps, than what we saw last weekend. Max Verstappen taking his fifth win of the season, his 50th podium in his Formula One career, completing a quinfecta, if you like, five wins in a row now for Red Bull team. And Courtney, you know, a lot of us expected this sort of performance from Max Verstappen once again, especially after what we saw last week. But... It's just, I think we're running out of words now already to describe how impressive, how brilliant this Max Verstappen-Red Bull partnership has been this season. It just seems that right now, the mood they're in together, they just seem unbeatable. Yeah, it feels like we're uh, back in 2020. It's just a different driver and a different team that are doing it. Um, you know, I've had, I've had, we've had many conversations about how he's open for a closer championship battle, but it does, it, you know, it does. It seems like a continuation of 2020, but we can't take anything away from Max or Red Bull. We can't. They've done. They've done a fantastic job, and it's down to Mercedes to uh, see if they can gain some ground and give the fans the uh, the kind of battles that we've been waiting for. Mm, absolutely, and of course, the Dutch fans. A lot of them in attendance this weekend. I think it was 132,000 in attendance for the race this weekend, which is incredible. Of course, we've never had crowds that big in the best part of a couple of years now, as it's been, uh, I think it's a full year now since um, F1 got back following the delay owing to COVID when that first obviously become apparent to the world back in March last year. And I'll tell you what, it was an absolute sight to see. Obviously, depending on which team you support, uh, McLaren probably thought that they might have a bit more following as well, given that there's so many orange shirts in the crowd. Lando Norris quite hilariously joking, saying they're probably here for me rather than Max Verstappen. And to be honest, based on his performance, I wouldn't be surprised. But, um, you know, I suppose the question has to be asked, Courtney, at this point, Max Verstappen now extending his lead to 32 points in the championship. We didn't really see much of him in the race today, other than perhaps when he made that pit the second pit stop to get some newer tyres on. And then went out and set a fastest like one and a half seconds quicker than everyone else, just to confirm the dominance that he has been showcasing the last, well, ever since the Spanish Grand Prix earlier this season. And, you know, that seems such like a distant memory, but I suppose we have to ask the question, Courtney, regarding the battle with Hamilton and the battle with Mercedes right now. Now that Verstappen has a 32 point margin, Red Bull have extended their Constructors' Championship lead a bit further. Is there really anything right now that Mercedes can do about Red Bull? It seems that they've got 10 days now, Mercedes, to try and find a way to overhaul this deficit that Red Bull have. I know James Allison mentioned in the press that there have been a few minor upgrades that are going to go on the car, stuff that have been uh, signed off, if you like, from Baku onwards and some pieces to help the engine reliability as well. Not that we're expecting a performance jump from that. Of course, teams can't do that. But do you see that there's any way right now or anything that Mercedes can do to really try and turn this form around? Because right now we are seeing Mercedes level of dominance from Verstappen and Red Bull. I think I think Mercedes is going to have to rely on some uh, wet races in order to help them get back because they're going to need a DNF for Max now in order to get them back into the race. Um, yeah. 
it's 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 a t- it's a tough one to watch because I was I was really expecting um a close battle this year and and it started off so with so much promise and from when from sort of Monaco onwards it's been a been a one way street for Red Bull again can't take anything away from Max I do feel I do feel Mercedes have been handicapped by regulation changes but I'm sure Mercedes have done it to Ferrari recently so. Swings and roundabouts in Formula One, but yes, yeah, we've, we've we've been robbed of a battle. Um, but yeah, as as I said, I think Max has been supreme, and let's hope from next season onwards we see a lot more challenges with some new challenges with the likes of hopefully Lando Norris being in the mix or Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz. I'm, I'm just really hoping for a great battle next season because fans have been waiting a long time for it. Hmm. I mean. You know, we had this battle for a little while this season and, you know, the championship's a long way from over. I mean, I know we talk this up as if it's almost like the championship's quickly becoming a dead rubber and it's not the case. You know, Mercedes are more than capable of, you know, putting something together or improving their car or just, you know, putting the performances that they do to try and turn this around. If anybody can do it, it's them. And there's going to be some tracks coming up that will, you know, play to their strength. Silverstone being one of them where we're going to go next in a couple of weeks time. And, you know, Red Bull on a track like Austria, the altitude quite high at times, the Honda engine obviously improved a lot and tends to perform very, very well at higher altitudes as the Red Bull car does as well, especially places like Mexico, for example, of course, we'll be going there much later this season, hopefully. But, um, you know, you, you look at stuff like that and you just feel that, hopefully Mercedes can find a way to turn this around and the sooner the better because you know five wins in a row for any team that isn't Mercedes in this current era of Formula One is almost unprecedented it's unheard of and I right now can't see how Verstappen and Red Bull are gonna loosen their grip on what they currently have which seems to be a stranglehold on this championship where they're racing in a completely different league to anybody else and Mercedes, not even Lewis Hamilton, as brilliant as he is, is able to find a way to overcome this. But um, look, you know, the, there's not much more that we can say on Max Verstappen other than what we already have. So we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out. But it's certainly looking rather ominous for him and the Red Bull team at the moment. Um, Corny, I want to turn your attention to Lewis Hamilton briefly. Um, we're going to cover this in our next episode, our filler episode this week about Hamilton's new contract and who we feel should partner him at Mercedes now that it seems that we could get an imminent decision on the second drive at Mercedes, perhaps as early as the British Grand Prix. But I mean, that's a big boost for Mercedes. I mean, for Lewis Hamilton to sign his new two-year deal, the Mercedes chairman was here this weekend, perhaps to oversee that and maybe behind the scenes confirm their second driver for next season you know such a big move it's going to be but you know how great is it going to be to know now that Lewis Hamilton is confirmed and signed up at least for another two years in Formula One I think it's definitely a long-term strategy for Mercedes because maybe some people be thinking you know Lewis is 36 now maybe he's past his prime but I think sometimes people forget that a Formula One driver has a lot more to offer than what they what they do on a Friday to a Sunday. Lewis is vastly experienced. I mean, we, we talk about running out of things to say about people. Everything that Lewis has achieved, his ability, his knowledge of the sport. This is going to do Mercedes a lot of good when it comes to developing future cars. With, with next season coming up, they're going to need all that knowledge to give them an, an advantage going into this this change that could put Mercedes, that could potentially help Mercedes be at the front in the coming season. So this is definitely a long-term strategy for Mercedes in order to make them more competitive. Because if you think, yeah, with, if the likely outcome is George Russell joins, yes, George Russell is a great driver and has plenty of potential, but he isn't at the level that Lewis Hamilton has achieved in Formula One. So in terms of developing a car, they would be struggling. Say they had Bottas and Russell next season. I think they would be struggling with car development rather than having someone like Lewis in a team. So I definitely think, I still think Lewis has the ability to do another two, three seasons, of course. But I think this is more to do, this is just as much to do with developing the car than what Lewis has to offer on track. Absolutely. And I think you're right to point out the potential struggle that Mercedes could find themselves in if they had a partnership like Bottas and George Russell instead of Lewis Hamilton and, of course, the de facto second driver, whoever that will be. Um, you could end up with a situation like we saw between Hamilton and Rosberg, but 
potentially with a car that's not as as dominant as what we had back then, which is obviously why perhaps Mercedes didn't mind the two of them clashing from time to time before it become a real problem. But that being said, you know, it, it's such an important thing to have a driver of the caliber, the prestige and the reputation and, and also the fan engagement, I suppose, that Lewis Hamilton has, or at least the presence he has, because a lot of fans tune into the sport to see Lewis Hamilton and see him do well, most importantly. And I think F1 realised that whilst they're going through this huge transition of rule changes that, of course, hopefully will present the most exciting and competitive set of regulations that we've ever had in the sport, it does need to be heralded by arguably the greatest driver of all time, at least statistically, that's certainly without doubt. And it it just wouldn't be right without him. So, you know, it's great news for the sport. Of course, we're going to get into this a little bit more in our next episode. And of course, we're going to be talking about who potentially we feel is going to be partnering for next season. And of course, why that would be. But on the Mercedes front today, it was a difficult race for Lewis. There wasn't really a lot for him to gain in terms of overhauling Verstappen. You know, he did well, obviously managed to benefit from the collision between uh, sorry, not collision, obviously the incident between Norris and Perez, um, managed to get past Lando Norris eventually, but then come across some issues with his car, perhaps with the tyres as well, damage he sustained. And it allowed Valtteri Bottas to overtake him and get second place. And uh, I mean, that's a good result for Valtteri Bottas. I think he drove a good race today. Qualifying wasn't exactly where he would want it, but I don't think he complained too much with second place under the circumstances, would you say? Oh, he's done it at the perfect time. You know, I, I still think George Russell is going to get that place, but he's made a statement at a perfect time. There's no way he's going to win a race. That wasn't possible for him. So that's definitely the best result he could possibly get. Of course, he benefited from Lewis sustaining damage. I think, let's, let's not forget that Lando Norris got a five-second penalty. I think Lando could well finish second today and a mm. big flat penalty. So given all the circumstances... He maximised what he could do. And yeah, he's, he's done it at the perfect time. I think I think we've seen a slight, in, we've seen an improvement in George's form in recent races, which isn't going to help Valtteri's calls. But all Valtteri can do is worry about what he's doing on track. And from, well, in the last three races, people talking about how well Max has done. I think we've seen an improvement in Valtteri. He's been solid in these past three races. So he's definitely found some form at a vital time you know, in his career. Mm. he's been definitely been there or thereabouts and on a day like today when Lewis was having trouble at first Mercedes were prepared to ask Valtteri to stay behind Lewis to sort of allow Lewis to get as many points as he could but then of course they realized very quickly that Lando Norris would have overtaken both cars if that was the case and they had to obviously make the switch move Valtteri ahead of Lewis of course had to pit Lewis as Lando was all over him and made that overtake and, you know, just to get Lewis to the end, he'll be happy to take the points he did. But of course, that's more ground lost to Max Verstappen, which could be crucial towards the end of the season. Um, you know, it should, it should be said that, you know, we should really move on to some of the bigger talking points. I think will be more interested in getting into in this episode. Lando Norris certainly being at the forefront of them. But, you know, before we get into that, Courtney, I mean, another fantastic weekend. Fernando Norris, you know, he scored the only driver, I think, that scored in every race this season, um, eight times in the top five, his third podium of the season. And as you said, Courtney, if it wasn't for that five second penalty, he could have very easily been able to consolidate that P2 that he managed in qualifying ever so close to his first pole position. Um, I mean, this guy right now, Lewis said on the radio, he this Lando is a great driver. I don't know if he was being sarcastic. He didn't sound it. Um, No, he was definitely being sincere. It's, so, it's almost hard to tell sometimes, given the context of when um, a message is played out. But assuming it was genuine, I imagine it was. Um, I mean, how right is Lewis to praise Lando? Because right now, this kid is doing unbelievable things in the McLaren at the moment. If he carries on in this kind of trajectory, he's definitely, in my opinion, a future world champion in the making. I really do see it happening. Um, you know, if you have a look, yes, this Daniel's kind of struggled a little bit this season, but the way that Lando is getting his results, he was he was racing the two Mercedes on merit today. Let's let's not understate it. Yes, the the this circuit well could suited the, the the McLaren to the best of his abilities. We can't take anything away from Lando. Lando is picking up great results pretty much every circuit he goes to. And I think he's finally getting the recognition he deserves. He's definitely taken a step forward with his maturity. 
he hasn't become a bore by no means, but he's definitely taking that shift towards taking the preparation for a race weekend more seriously. And he's getting the results to back it up. And if, if this lad gets the right machinery, he'll be in the running for a world championship, a championship. I have no doubt about that. No, absolutely. And you're right to point out, this was certainly a circuit that, um, you know, McLaren probably fancied their chances based on how well Lando driven last week. And obviously the lessons they learned from that race, they were able to maximize his performance even further to a point where a lot of us were saying maybe Lando should have tried to challenge the likes of Bottas and Perez last week, perhaps for a podium. This week, he was certainly on the money and another brilliant performance. Once again, Lando getting driver of the day quite emphatically. Um yeah, I, I could probably agree with that decision. I mean, it's a fan poll at the end of the day. So, you know, sometimes you do get drivers that get awarded that through popularity rather than actually earning it on merit. But, um, uh, you know, last week, I, I didn't think Leclerc was worthy of driver of the day, but he won it um, for his drive, the second half of it, at least. And Lando got it today. Um, but on the subject of Lando Norris, I think we've got to get into um, one of the, the more controversial things this season. And we haven't often talked about penalties that have been awarded for certain incidents in the FIA. I think we can agree that the stewards tend to be very, very good um, at how they police a lot of these incidents. But the ones today certainly come under scrutiny. And the theme seems to be how far can we go in terms of racing? How hard can drivers race before it starts to become over the line? For those of you that haven't seen it, I'll briefly describe how this went down. Obviously, um, Sergio Perez on lap one was trying to overtake Lando Norris, got a good start as Lando Norris was trying to overtake Verstappen. When the run down from turn three into turn four and five, um, you saw Perez, sorry, in the uh, slipstream of Lando Norris, pulled to the outside. The cars were very close to each other. And at one point, Perez was sort of a bit neck and neck. Sorry, I was just trying to swat a fly for those wondering what I'm doing with my hands. Um, yeah, they were sort of neck and neck to a bit. And then Lando just edged a little bit in front of him on the inside into turn four. But then under braking, Perez moved ahead of Lando temporarily around the outside, tried to completely overtake. But the two of them were pretty much together into the corner. And then Lando down the inside as the car tends to undulate into that corner and understeer on the exit was literally almost at a point where both of them together and Perez ends up onto the gravel to try and avoid a collision with Lando Norris. Now, of course, those of you who have seen it, I hope I described that with a relative amount of accuracy. But as a result of that incident, Lando Norris picked up a five-second penalty by the stewards. And I suppose, Courtney, first things first, how did you see this one go down? Did you feel that that was a fair penalty from Lando Norris? Or did you feel that um, the stewards were a bit too harsh and perhaps should have taken into account that, you know, it was hard racing between two drivers and Perez was just unfortunate to get caught out. Yeah, look, this is only my opinion. Everyone's obviously welcome to their own, but I, I I just feel that when it comes to first, when it comes to the first lap, I feel there needs to be a lot more leniency because that, the, the first lap is where you get most of the action. I understand that drivers need to be responsible, but that's where you get the most excitement. And we're talking so much about having more excitement in Formula One that I feel if the stewards are too harsh on the first lap, we are kind of being robbed of the spectacle, which is the first lap of the race. But what I will say, obviously we'll go into this more with um, other incidents. One thing I will say is that at least the stewards were consistent hmm. today. In previous races, we've been very, very critical. We actually, we actually did an episode on it about the consistency of stewards. So in one sense, I, I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about the particular decisions they made today but at least they were consistent yeah um that's one thing we can give them credit for uh, you're right you know we don't often talk about them i know we did an episode but it's not something we do cover in our regular race reviews it's usually on occasion where something big happens and it's quite contentious and i think we have to weigh in on this particular incident i absolutely accept that you know, we're on the first lap, you're going to get incidents. We saw a lot of that last weekend. Charles Leclerc, Pierre Gasly obviously coming together. Um, and a lot of people thought Charles Leclerc should have got a penalty. And I remember saying that, you know, it was clumsy from Leclerc. And I think the main reason why he didn't get a penalty was one, because he wasn't at fault for Pierre Gasly retiring. That come later. And that was just really unfortunate for Pierre. Um but because Charles Leclerc sustained damage himself, I think if Leclerc had, had a free run, I think that the stewards would have been a bit more harsher on him and laid down the law and given him a time penalty. But even then, okay, that's up for debate. With this incident, I as again, I accept the turn one um, leniency. Oh, sorry, not turn one, but the lap one leniency. But I think that only comes up to a certain point. 
And I think it comes down to situational awareness. I think for this track, where they were, I think if it happened in turn three and Perez was forced out wide onto the uh, the tarmac, I think that would have been fine. Similar in a way to what Verstappen did with Leclerc uh, two years ago when he went past him on the final lap. When they touched ties, Leclerc went wide. It was harsh, but I felt that Leclerc was very unlucky, but I don't think that warranted a penalty, as angry as I was as a Ferrari fan at the time to see it. But um, no, in this incident, I think what the problem was, and I think Paul DeResta and Crofty on commentary, they did a good job, but I think for me, why I, did, I disagreed with them and I felt the stewards were right to give Lando a five-second penalty and probably unpopular with a lot of you guys, but the reason why I feel that they were right in this case was... As I described earlier with the Verstappen-Leclerc incident a couple of years ago, that was on tarmac and Leclerc had a runoff and he was able to carry on. But because of the gravel at the exit of turn four and the way the car tend to undulate a little bit when you're going at speed, I think Lando, despite wanting to be def- to keep that position, Perez was on far and long, far enough alongside him, some, at some point ahead of him under braking, to warrant at least room for his car to be on the outside for both of them to go through. Unfortunately, Lando didn't give him that space and I think pushed him a bit too far wide to the point where I think there's nothing Perez could have done. And if Perez had held his line, the two would have made contact and it could have wrecked both their races. And I think because it forced Perez to the gravel in that fashion, I think you have to side with Perez on this one. It's such a tough call. But I feel like if there was tarmac around the outside and Perez had gone wide and slowed down, I think that would have been fine as hard racing. We all want to see that. but. I just think because there was gravel around the outside, I think Lando needed to take that into consideration in his defence and I think just pushed a little bit too hard. On a different day, different stewards, because they have different ones, they might have felt differently. But I think on this particular occasion, I would say because of that, I think you have to give the benefit of the doubt to Perez in this situation. I think it was a fair penalty. Um, While we're here, let's move on to the other ones. Um, We'll come back to McLaren, of course, because Ricardo had a great day as well. Um, But... Perez versus Leclerc part one. Um, similar incident to Norris and Perez. And, and basically Leclerc was a little bit further ahead than Perez was of Norris. Um, but this time Perez dived down the inside and he actually hit Leclerc. He actually went into Leclerc a little bit and then forced him wide onto the gravel. And he got a five second penalty. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this, but I think absolutely you have to give Perez a five second penalty. Not just because Norris... Uh, got one for a similar incident, but because this one was probably a little bit worse. So, Courtney, what do you make of that? Do you do, agree? Do, do you know what? I was, I was, uh, when I was watching it, I was like Ty from AFTV. <laughs> do you know, it's like, where's the card then? Where's the card then? Where's the card <laughs> yeah. then? Because I was still sorry about Lando Norris getting a five-second penalty. So I was like, where's the penalty? Where's the penalty? Where's the penalty? And he got it. So that, that's the thing. That's, that's fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're looking for. Hmm. Even though you can agree or disagree with the rule that's been set, but if there's consistency, then that, you know, I, I just feel that, that that's that's all we're looking for is consistency. And we got that. Yeah. I mean, whether you agree with the actual incident itself being worthy of a five second time penalty, I think the fact that the FIA and the stewards set a precedent on Norris's penalty, you can't not give Perez a penalty for the same thing, if not a little bit worse, because he made contact with Declare. Um, and so... The last one, the turn six incident, also between Perez and Leclerc. Perez defending against Leclerc. Leclerc tried to go around the outside to repeat a brilliant move he did on Perez earlier in the race where he kind of under and overed him out of turn four. Tried to do the same thing again, um, but Perez forced Leclerc wide onto the gravel again on the exit of turn six. Charles Leclerc very, very angry at Perez for this. But Perez got a five-second time penalty for that. Courtney, what did you make of that incident? Did you think that one was a penalty as well? Or did you feel that Leclerc this time probably should have yielded? It's a little bit more harsh given that Leclerc did put himself into a dangerous position, but that's that's what comes with risk. So again, if you're sort of punishing the other driver for a risk the other driver took, I don't know, it's just not quite, it doesn't sit quite right with me. Hmm. But yeah, it, again, it, it comes down to consistency, um, and maybe when when they go to when they go to a track like Austria where there are gravel traps, maybe they do need to be a little bit more clear about what the rules are going forward to stop this kind of confusion. Because I, I like I like that I, I think the the gravel traps add to you know the event itself. It makes it more interesting. The the risks the drivers have to take in order to do well. 
and also and obviously if they were if they were to go in the gravel traps it is yeah it's going to have a bigger effect on on a race so skill comes into it i'm all for having gravel traps i don't think there are gravel traps in enough of these modern circuits but with the way the health and safety has come along obviously since 1994 when senna died there's been a lot of changes in health and safety so obviously we are getting less we, we're not really getting gravel traps in these modern circuits in a way is a shame but that's why I feel when, when you do go to tracks where there are the gravel tracks, I just think the stewards need to be more clear with the drivers as to what is legal and what isn't. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And I, I'm a big fan of the old fashioned circuits as well. Sometimes I think these circuits are a little bit too easy when they've got runoff areas everywhere, like Paul Ricard, although that is a test circuit by nature. So it's bound to have that. Um, but no, that incident with Perez and Leclerc, the second one at turn six, I think, I don't think that was a penalty. I feel like the, stewards on this occasion perhaps out of fear of appearing inconsistent and the precedent they already set they probably thought yep slam dunk penalty without thinking about it too much for me I felt that on that occasion Leclerc whilst being alongside Perez on the outside Perez had the racing line going into the corner and you know Leclerc was overtaken or moving alongside Perez halfway through the apex of turn six around the outside for me I think Leclerc was never going to get past Perez on that occasion. I think Perez did a good job defending that and I think was judged quite harshly on that one. I think Leclerc probably should have stayed back and lived to fight another day to complete that overtake. Um, And we know Charles Leclerc, as good as he has been, can sometimes be a little bit overzealous when he goes for those sorts of moves. As you know, he was brilliant today with the up and under on um, Sergio Perez earlier in the race. But I think on this occasion, I think he bit off a little bit more than he could chew. So I think that one was unfair on Perez. But as I said, I think the FIA and the stewards set a precedent today and just didn't want to appear inconsistent, fearing the aftermath. Although they did get one, but not necessarily for being inconsistent. But let us know what you thought, guys, of those three incidents. We've weighed in, we've given our opinions on them. Whether you agree with them or not, that's up to you. But please do weigh in and let us know in the comments what you think. Were the FIA and the stewards too harsh and should allow more harder racing like that in the future or do you think that they were right to offer uh, award the penalties that they did in each respective incident so let's get back to McLaren now of course Lando Norris did a brilliant job today I think we said a lot already about him and how brilliant he's been so let's move on to Daniel Ricciardo who has been very much um not necessarily the full guy but the driver that has really needed to put together a strong performance today and I think for all intents and purposes, qualifying didn't go well, but the race was a complete contrast. Daniel said that he had issues with his engine in the first race at uh, the Styrian Grand Prix last weekend. He didn't seem to have such troubles today. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think he did a pretty good job today. Yeah, I think I think where he's been a little bit too harsh on himself, he didn't seem too happy with the result. But the, 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 the classic thing, obviously, drivers and fans are like, is judge drivers compared to their teammates because obviously they've got the same car so that's a reference they turn to but Lando has been so good this season that it's quite hard to be so judgmental on on Daniel because I think he actually did a good job with the package that he has it just doesn't look as good because Lando was so exceptional today so I think I think this is definitely another step forward for Daniel Mm. I just think if he just carries on because the the McLaren is good the McLaren is a good car and it can compete at the um not at the very top, but we've seen that he's capable of getting podiums on his day. And I think Daniel can. I think Daniel can get a podium at some point in the season. I think that should be the aim for him. I think that should be the target, is to try and get a podium at some point in the season. Because we all know the guy has the ability to do it. He just needs to unlock that speed again. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, it does seem to be coming. I know there have been a lot of races this season where we're sort of wondering and asking ourselves, is Daniel going to find that something? And, and even if he doesn't this year, you know, the rules are going to change next year. It's, a, it's a, a reset for everybody. And that kind of in itself provides the best opportunity for Daniel to kind of get on top of this. We both know he's a fantastic driver. Um, you know, he's very much in his prime at the moment, at the peak of his powers, and probably will continue to be that way for a few more years. I think once he gets accustomed to this car a little bit more and the way things work at McLaren, we're going to see the best, Daniel. I think today we saw a good race today from him. He'll be probably feel a little bit unfortunate to finish in P7, um, despite his brilliant efforts to fend off the Ferraris and for some time Sergio Perez uh, in a much more superior Red Bull, it must be said. But um, he did his job for today for McLaren and he was very much a part 
of McLaren increasing their lead over Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship, which, of course, is the main playing point. He's now in the top eight in the Drivers' Championship. So he's in and amongst the top four teams. So he's roughly where he should be now on merit. So now Daniel just needs to focus on how can he close that gap between himself and Lando Norris and become even more of an asset to fend off the two Ferraris behind him. Um, Speaking of which, let's go on to Ferrari briefly. Last week's race, obviously a lot of good points for Ferrari. Um, Perhaps an argument could have been made that Ferrari could have done a bit better under the circumstances. Um, then sixth and seventh this weekend potentially could have been a bit more difficult for them. Neither of them made it into Q3, which was a big shock. I think Ferrari, given how good they've been in qualifying, we expected them at least one of them to be in Q3. Um, but in the race, I said all weekend, judging on Ferrari's pace, I felt they may prioritize race pace over qualifying. And this is a track that does not suit the car compared to others. It doesn't play to their strengths. It's very much a power sensitive circuit. And if someone had said to me Ferrari were going to finish in fifth and eighth position, I probably would have took that under the circumstances. So I can't complain too much. But what did you make of Ferrari today, Courtney? Do you think it was a good day for them? Or do you feel that they'll be more disappointed that the fact that McLaren have made more ground on them? Or would you feel that they're probably happy with damage limitation, I suppose? Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think Ferrari will be happy with the positions that they're in. Still crazy to think that Ferrari as a team would be happy to finish fifth and eighth. But mm. look, that's that situation that they're in. I think they should be very happy. I think they should be particularly happy with Carlos Sainz. Yet again, the forgotten man has put in a great performance in terms of looking after the tyres, solid strategy, and, and took the car actually really sort of slightly above where they expected it to be. I think I think probably fifth is probably exceeded their expectations. Mm. So I think yet again, yet again, Carlos Sainz is putting in those results and he's not again. I, I don't understand how Carlos Sainz isn't getting the recognition. It just, it just seems to be, it just gets these results out of nowhere and it barely gets mentioned. I'm not having a go at anyone in particular, but it just seems to go underneath the radar. I know Charles Leclerc is the star. We saw it after winning in Monza in 2019. He is the star of, of Ferrari. But Carlos Sainz has settled in so quickly. And yet again, he's, he's, he's outperformed Charles this weekend. Simply yeah, with yeah. how he's nursed a car. No, no, you're absolutely right, Courtney. Um, I, I'm actually just checking the Drivers' Championship because I, I think Sainz might have overtaken Leclerc in the Drivers' Championship with that result today. Because because Le- Sainz mm. got P5, so obviously that's worth 10 points. Leclerc got P8, so that was worth three points. Just having a look now. Uh, this is it. Um, yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll talk and while some, you know, I'm a brilliant podcaster, I am. I'm talking while I'm... <laughs> I know, while I'm obviously, if, if you're watching on YouTube, it's fine. You can see what I'm doing. But if you're listening on your favourite <laughs> podcasting platform, by the way, thank you so much for doing that because I think on the latter, we've now passed 5,000 downloads, which doesn't sound like a lot, but to us, that's huge and it's going up all the time. So thank you so much for that, guys. Really, really do appreciate that. But um, no, you're absolutely right, Courtney. Carlos Sainz drove a brilliant race today. Um, managed the... Harder ties very, very well. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm surprised that Leclerc didn't start the race on the hard ties like Sainz did, because Leclerc did a very good stint on the harder ties, albeit they went a compound softer um, this weekend. And perhaps that's why Leclerc didn't do that. Perhaps he felt he needed to do something a bit different. But um, I think Leclerc's race might have benefited him a bit more if he was on the harder ties to start with and went on to the mediums like Sainz did, because they got bogged down in that battle in the midfield and they were very much there or thereabouts with the likes of Perez, Ricardo, um, you know, and, and the rest behind them, like the Alpha Tauris, for example, and Alpine. But um, it, it just seemed that Leclerc just didn't have the ties to get past Ricardo at the end, tried all he might, almost drove into the back of him a few times going into turn four, talking about saying overzealous a little bit with his overtakes, but um, certainly was in the mood today. But I was impressed that Ferrari... And I didn't think they'd do this. I was impressed that Ferrari made the switch around between Sainz and Leclerc because Sainz obviously caught the chase, the, the pack ahead of him. And Leclerc had to let him go to make that move on Ricardo, which he did at the very end of the race. And as a result, he was able to get ahead of Perez, owing to Perez's 10 seconds worth of time penalties. So that paid off for Ferrari. And it's a good example of damage limitation. And on the subject, um, no. So Leclerc is still ahead of Sainz. By two how points. many points? Two points. Yeah. Only two I, I points. Mean, massive credit to Carlos Sainz, though. Again, mm. he's he's joined he's he's joined Ferrari. This is his first season, and he's he's on par 
with the star of Ferrari, who, you know, he, he made Vettel look silly. Let's not forget that he made Sebastian Vettel look silly. And Carlos Sainz is on a on a, is is on a similar level to Leclerc in his first season. So I think I think the guy deserves more plaudits than he's currently getting. Yeah, and Ferrari are going to have some tough races coming up. Of course, we're going to Silverstone, which is very much a circuit that's going to be power sensitive. It's not going to be a good day for them, and it's going to be tough on tyres. I would be I wouldn't be surprised if we had another repeat of what we saw at Paul Ricard for Ferrari. Maybe not as bad, but I would make a bold prediction and say Ferrari will do well to score points. At the, at the British Grand Prix. I think it's going to be a tough race. for. I mean, it was tough for them last year at the, um, was it the 70th anniversary race? that? Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. It was the British Grand Prix because I think Leclerc come P3, didn't he? The British Grand Prix last year. But they struggled. They struggled in the yeah. the, uh, the, 70th, the 70th um anniversary was at Mugello, wasn't it? No, no, no. The 70th anniversary race, they had the double header at Silverstone last year, didn't oh, they? Oh, okay. What I mean is, I think oh, Leclerc with P3. I'm getting, I'm getting mixed up with Ferrari. Uh, I'm getting mixed up yeah, with Ferrari. Yeah, not Ferrari's one. No, no, okay. um, F1's 70th anniversary. Um, I think Leclerc come P3 because Bottas and Lewis had tire issues and Bottas had to uh, pit. Oh, yeah, yeah. To avoid yeah. that. But yeah, as I said, you know, so Ferrari could prove me wrong and do well, but I just think the characteristics of Silverstone might go against them this season um, a lot more than it did in previous seasons, especially with the tire situation again we'll have to wait and see um how it turns out ferrari might surprise us but you know it, i think mclaren will be very strong there so this championship at the moment between mclaren and ferrari seems swings and roundabouts and we've had a few races where ferrari have looked very strong we're now getting a few races where mclaren have looked very strong as we go towards the second half of this season which will quickly approach and courtney do mclaren look like they've got uh, the advantage going into this point and do you feel Ferrari can get that back or do you think that the races coming up are going to more likely suit McLaren a bit more and might play to their hands especially Lando Norris let's not forget well that's the thing I think McLaren have the advantage simply mainly because of um, Lando Norris and you know I've, I've I've been praising both the Ferrari drivers they're both great drivers but Lando Norris is on a different level at the moment Lando Norris is up there with one of the best drivers of the season so far he's definitely up there with Max hmm. He's up there with Max. Yeah, absolutely. Let's not forget how close he was to getting pole position in this race. Half I think Lando Norris has really taken that next step forward. And I think that's what's going to get McLaren over the line when it comes to getting that third place. I think so too. And, you know, he said before, quite famously, that Ferrari have got a very good car at certain circuits and they've not made the most. They've made mistakes and have not capitalised on them, which I completely agree with. I think Monaco, a great example of that where Leclerc was not able to take advantage of that win. And I've said countless times this season that this is kind of the difference. You know, Lando's been so consistent. He's been scoring the upper echelons of almost every race he's been in. And another suggest, another sign today of, you know, McLaren, whether how much of a performance advantage they have to Ferrari, I don't know. It depends on circuit to circuit. But at least at Lando Norris, he's certainly extrapolating the absolute maximum out of that car. So it's brilliant to see for them but Ferrari have to try and find a way to up their performance and quick um, if they're going to beat McLaren I mean they're doing well but McLaren right now especially Lando's hands doing a phenomenal job and that will get even better as Daniel starts to improve a bit bit more um, let's talk about Alpha Tauri uh, a, a bit of a mixed bag for them today um, I I expected Alpha Tauri to be very strong here I thought they would be the best of the Alpine Aston Martin Alpha Tauri battle in Pierre Gasly's hands they certainly were but the spare fall for Yuki Tsunoda, who come P12 today. But very, very silly from him mm-hmm. because two penalties he got today, both for crossing the white line on the pit lane entry. And um, the pit lane entry at Austria, I think is quite dangerous anyway. I think Karen Chanduk made a great point in free practice where they need to consider changing this um, because it's dangerous. You come out of eight and nine and they're so quick, the right-handers. And the pit lane entry is just before that. And you've got a heel. And as it comes over the canvas, you've suddenly got a right-hander. And someone could be going really slowly into the pit to try and stay in that gap. I'm surprised more accidents don't happen there. Um, we saw in qualifying when Vettel was going slowly, Alonso approaches him and, you know, could have been really, really bad. Um, but what do you make of AlphaTauri's performance today, Courtney? You had Gasly do really well uh, getting points. Do you think Sonoda could have gone in the points today if it wasn't for his two silly penalties? Because he was up there for most of the race. I think this race summed up the uh, the performances of the two drivers perfectly. Yeah, again, another great result for Pierre Gasly with the package that he had. 
but Sonoda tripping over himself. He made a mistake not once but twice, I believe. You can't mm. be do you can't you can't be doing that at this level. Once maybe it happens to the best. We we you know we even saw Lewis Hammond make mistakes on that level last season, despite him being in top form. But to do it twice in one race, it's this a uh, pun unintended. It's a rookie error. And if Sonoda wants to remain in this sport or be competitive, he can't be doing that. Yeah, it's really silly stuff. And, you know, Alpha Tauri currently battling away with Aston Martin and Alpine this season. They can't afford to drop points needlessly for silly things like that. I mean, it might be just one point, but, you know, that could be the difference between finishing in fifth in this Constructors' Championship, which I think is the target for them at this point, and finishing in seventh place. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, you know, a good day for Pierre Gasly, I think, as well. I think after what happened last weekend, I think a lot of fans and a lot of people wanted to see better fortunes for him. And he did well. You know, he he got he qualified well, but ultimately that soft tyre strategy didn't really help them out. It kind of took them out of contention with the Ferraris and the McLarens today. Yeah, I, I just I just think where where Alpha Tauri are as a team, having a driver like Pierre Gasly will keep keep them probably just above their expectations going into the season. I think he will keep them ahead of the lights of Alpine. Now we've talked about Lando Norris making a difference. I think Pierre Gasly is going to make the difference for Alpha Tauri. Yeah, very much could do so this season. He's certainly doing well so far. Um, and hopefully Sonoda can avoid, you know, they're rookie mistakes, but, you know, you can't afford to keep making them, especially twice in the same race. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Williams. I want to, obviously, we're going to get to Alonso in a minute, but I think for obvious reasons, we should talk about George Russell first. And you know what, Corny? My heart breaks for George. It really does. I was really willing him on with three laps to go. He was sitting in 10th place and I thought, you know, he had a bit of a sloppy start, but he managed to recover and he ran his race really well. He was consistent. He was quick. And it did seem that P10 was very much on the cards. But then he had that brilliantly Titanic battle with Fernando Alonso, which it seemed for a while that George was going to be able to keep Fernando behind. And I want to pay tribute to these two today because they we've talked a lot in this episode particularly, and a lot of people are going to talk about the Leclerc-Perez incident, the Perez-Norris incident, and try to find comparisons. I saw a brilliant battle between Norris and Alonso, and the amount of times they went into turn four side by side, managed to keep it clean, it was tight, it was hard, but fair racing. That is the blueprint for hard mm-hmm. racing that fans want to see. I know a lot of fans are going to complain about those other incidents to say the, the stewards are being a bit too harsh, but that is the standard we saw from George Russell and Fernando Alonso in a hard, fair battle for a championship point, which I'm pretty sure George potentially would have risked his own life, heaven forbid, um, to protect. And at times it seemed like he was going to, but they kept it clean, they kept it fair, and it was a brilliant battle. Unfortunately, three laps from the end, the Alpine on fresher tyres, a much quicker car, and Fernando being Fernando, having nearly 2,000 championship points to his name, couldn't spare George just one (laughs) crucially overtook him a few laps from the end and and I don't know about you Courtney but my heart absolutely sank for George who I imagine must have been devastated to see the Alpine breeze past him into turn four with a few laps to go um but let's take the positives out of this race for George you know it was a difficult race a brilliant qualifying where he made his Q3 appearance for the first time one which I I predicted you did you did so I'm not a complete fraud when it comes to the uh psychic side of f1 predictions but um i mean fair play to george russell despite p11 it was a fantastic drive today yeah he's it's been a long time coming the the the, the guys should be the guys should be driving for a top team you know i've, I've chirped on i've been chirping off for bloody ages about this um but i want i want to see him even if he does join mercedes next next season i want to see him achieve that feat for williams because you know, it's it's been a great partnership between the two. Yeah, the car hasn't been great, but George has definitely given Williams something to strive for. I think without George there, I think Williams could well be in a dire situation. His his optimism and his ability has given them a desire to improve. So he will help Williams. His his, his effect on Williams will help them in the long term, whether he goes um, next season or not. Um, just it's just just gutting for him that he can't he can't get that result. But with the package that he has, you think how far ahead he was of his teammate in the TFE. Mm. I think I think the guy's exceptional. You know, it's, instead of seeing 
um, Lando and George having conversations after the race. I want to see him closer on track because, look, let's not forget, as great as Lando Norris has been and how much of a bright future the guy has, George did beat him in the F2 Championship where the cars are pretty much equal. So if we're excited about what Lando Norris has to offer, we should be excited about what George has to offer given the right machinery. Mm. And, and I think we've already seen what George can do in a competitive car when he drove from mm. Mercedes at Sakir and his first time out was impressive enough. So it does seem that for whatever reason, there is some cosmic mystic power out there that is preventing George Russell from getting a championship point. I mean, it's hard enough driving the car that he currently is at the moment. And um, I mean, he's pretty much living out what a lot of us do on career mode on the F1 games. We start off in the worst car and somehow get a championship point miraculously or whatever it is. But no, he's doing a fantastic job, George. I really hope for better fortunes. And of course, we will find out in the near future where his future lies from 2022 onwards. Will he be at Mercedes? Will he be at Williams or perhaps somewhere else? We'll have to wait and see. But we'll be talking about that in more depth in the next DNF1 F1 podcast. Um, let's talk about Alpine. Let's move back to them. Um, we'll start with Ocon, who, um, I mean, what has gone on for Esteban Ocon? He had problems today where he got caught up in an incident um i believe it was with mick schumacher and uh, giovanazzi uh, at the exit of turn three he, he got caught in a pincer movement really where there was nowhere really for him to go and uh he ended up having a broken right suspension after clipping giovanazzi's rear left tire. i mean what has gone on for ocon his qualifying pace is gone mm. his race pace isn't there at the moment it seems ever since he's signed um that new contract with alpine for a few yeah, more I'll years agree. it's almost reverted back to Ocon when he first come back into Formula One. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if he's, he's... Esteban Ocon has been on the beach since signing a new contract. That's the best way to sum up because there was a real threat from Pierre Gasly. Let's not forget that. And I think that was double motivation for him, not only to save his seat, but to stop his good friend um, Pierre Gasly from taking... Because that would, have, that would have crushed him if Pierre Gasly, of all people, had taken his F1 seat. So I just think he, he may be putting every ounce of his mental energy and getting the best results he could in order to get that contract. But I hope we're wrong because that would that would show a bad attitude and that is a good about both for him in the future. So if that is the case, he definitely needs to improve his mentality because that Alpine is a solid car. We're seeing that Fernando Alonso, yes, it is the great Fernando Alonso. He's getting, he's turning results out of this car and given the package they have, Ocon should be getting that car in and around the points every single race. Mm. And, um, you know, Esteban is certainly far from a driver that doesn't put the effort in or the work mm. or works hard. I mean, we're talking about a man here who himself, his friends and his family have had to give up literally everything to help him achieve his dream in Formula One. And, you know, anyone that knows anything about Esteban Ocon will know that he's certainly not taken the accelerator, his foot off the accelerator since he signed that new deal. But it is strange how... Sometimes you can put all that mental energy and focus into trying to get that new deal. And then once you get it, for one reason or another, whether you're conscious of it or not, your performance drops and, you know, you're struggling to find answers. You're like, I need to get that back. I need to become that guy who's fighting for his F1 future. Um, but knowing deep down, you don't, you've got some level of protection, at least for now. I mean, maybe I'm being harsh for asking this, but I probably, you know, this... Let's consider it anyway, but... Let's put it out there. Yeah. Are Alpine... Do you think Alpine might be a little bit worried that they were a bit premature in signing Ocon's new deal? Because whilst we were calling for it to happen for a while earlier this season, I must admit, I felt perhaps they could have waited a little bit or at least assessed their options. Possibly. I mean, Esteban is a very good driver. Let's not take anything away from him. He is a very good driver. But they could potentially have missed out on signing Pierre Gasly, who has been one of the performers of this season. I just, I, I just feel that if Pierre Gasly had gone there, Fernando Alonso isn't going to be around for much longer. I think Pierre Gasly could have been their start. The way that we're seeing with Leclerc at Ferrari, the way we're seeing Lewis at Mercedes, Max at Red Bull, I think Pierre Gasly would have been the star of that team. And given the big changes coming along, he could have been a good spearhead for that team of being getting back to previous successes. And I think, even though they could turn back to him in 2023, I think they've missed a trick making the decision this soon. I mean, they could still do. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, Alpha Tauri may keep Gasly on for another year. And the way things are going, I really hope they do. 
Um, it's certainly by a mile the best option, but it could depend on what Red Bull want to do in all of this and how much power AlphaTauri have. So there could be an option for Alpine to bring Gasly into the team in 2023 once Alonso's two-year deal runs out. And as I said, unless Alpine provide Alonso with a car capable of winning a world championship or at least competing to win races, I'd be surprised if he signed another deal beyond his current one. That being said, Fernando is still driving at a very, very good level. And once again today, um, at the expense of our beloved George Russell, he managed to get that championship point when it mattered, the old Matador. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll, you know, George Russell bias aside, Courtney, on our part, um, how did you rate Fernando's performance today? Another solid job from the Spaniard? Yeah, I've, I've, he's, he's not the Fernando of old. Obviously, he's not able to do it with the car that he has, but he's certainly become... His performances are certainly improved because this isn't just a one-off. He's been doing this for a few races now. He had a little bit of a slow start, but now he's back to that level that Alpine were expecting when they signed him. And he's getting his results for them. You know, it wasn't their strongest weekend, but he managed to get a point. And that's what you that's what you expect when you employ a driver of his calibre. And long may it continue. Because I, I, I'd prefer to see him higher up the grid, but given what he has, I think, I think he'll definitely be happy with his um, performances. Yeah, no, absolutely right. I think that's a fair point as well. Um, Aston Martin had an interesting day today. Um, oh, I think, I. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were probably hoping for more, but I think like Alpha Tauri, they kind of got bogged down going on the soft tyres to get through Q2. I mean, we saw in Sat on Saturday a lot of teams like um, Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri putting on the soft tyres to get into Q2. Um, and it kind of ruined their races because um, other than Gasly, none of them scored points. And, you know, the like we talked about Ferrari, obviously, that they struggled. They didn't get into Q2, uh, Q3, I should say, which was disappointing. But you probably argue they would have done if it wasn't for the others going on soft tyres. But, I mean, do you feel that, you know, despite chasing qualifying performance, Aston Martin, like Alpha Tauri, probably shot themselves in the foot today? Yeah, possibly. But I just don't think they were quick enough. I think that you think think about some of the teams that are doing well. I just don't think they had the pace. I think they were, uh, if it wasn't for the uh, the coming together between um, Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen at the end, I think well, I thought, what I find a bit ironic about that is that the two most forgettable teams of this weekend collided in the first race. They probably did it on purpose to get some kind of um, to get noticed because if it was a flat collision, we would we wouldn't have noticed that those two teams were even racing this weekend. No, and it was a very strange incident that the two former Ferrari drivers, former teammates, Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Seb Vettel colliding on the exit of Turn 4. I mean, that, that was a silly moment for Kimi Raikkonen, I believe. You know, Raikkonen was saying that Leclerc was clumsy last weekend when them two almost come together. Well, I think anyone can agree that Kimi Raikkonen very much was half asleep almost when Vettel was going up the inside of him and caused that collision. I mean... I don't know if anyone else can see it go any other way. That seemed to be 100% Kimmy's fault on that occasion. Yeah, it was last lap, wasn't it, as well? Um, pretty much. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the last lap for Verstappen, but for mm. everyone else, it was uh, another lap after that. But a lot yeah, of the guys have probably, gone round. Yeah. He's, he's probably thinking about what he's going to be having for dinner after the race, rather than watching, uh, watching mm. down the side of him. Well, it was a warm day out in Austria. It was, uh, I think it was that track temperature was about 10 degrees hotter from the start of the race. Although uh, that could have been Karen Chandler putting out them hot vibes and everything else as he does um, on F1. I mean, it's funny because we talk about certain presenters and pundits that actually do tend to really get stuck in with the technical side. And, and you know, I've mentioned Karen a lot, but he definitely does add that extra element to F1 punditry in a way like Rosberg does as well. I feel like Sky really up their game. Um, with their punditry, you know, Paul DeResta as well. They all offer some great insights. So um, it was just Martin funny. Brundle, yeah. Martin, Martin Brundle is still the best, though. Oh Martin yeah, Martin Brundle is the best. Yeah, obviously he's not as uh, he's not there as often as he mm. used to be. So, um, but no, no, as I said, good stuff. Uh, as I said, Karen was mentioning track temperatures going up about 10, 15 degrees before the start of the race. Obviously, that did play an impact today. But um, yeah, very, very strange stuff uh, for Kimi Räikkönen. They're almost trying to pass Russell for that famous P11 that Alfa Romeo often love. I thought they were going to do it again. I literally thought, yeah. they're going to get P11 again. I called it. Like, <laughs> it's so brilliant for them. But um, yeah, so strange day for Kimi, but almost another good performance from him uh, after a poor qualifying by their standards. Giovinazzi, P14. Um, 
obviously inherently owing to Vettel and Raikkonen and Zeres. So another quiet day for them, really. Um, let's round this off talking about Huss. What do you make of their day, Courtney? I mean, there's not much to talk about, really. Um, Huss. <laughs> um, there isn't really much to talk about. Them, oh, well, really. well, yeah. well uh, Maz- Mazepin got a black and white flag. Yeah, that's, that, that's it. That, what, that's do news. you know what that was for? Because I was not paying attention when it, it, might, it might it must have been for ignoring blue flags. That's what I'm imagining. I mean, I thought they would have got a penalty for that, but apparently they just thought five second time penalty for Mazepin is going to do bubkiss, so they might exactly. as well just give him a warning flag. <laughs> it's not often you see a black and white flag in Formula One these days. I think the last one I remember seeing was when Grosjean was getting a few for exceeding track limits. I think at Imola last year. Maybe um, it was that. Maybe yeah. the track limits. And then oh, I was assuming, yeah. I'm assuming it was blue flags because of what he has a bit of a reputation for doing on track. Yeah, but um, well, as I said, when you see Nikita Mazepin, the less you hear of him, you just assume the better because you think he's having a clean race. But that was the only thing I saw of him today. Um, Mick Schumacher, 18th place, probably a quiet race for him, was involved in that incident with Esteban Ocon, but uh, I certainly can't blame him for that. He was literally around the outside on the opening lap, trying to keep it clean. And pretty much for the most part, he did. So I think Haas not going to complain. Both their cars finished. Um, I mean, they're getting very good, these teams at finishing races. It's, it's not very often you see mm. drivers retiring for, for reliability issues. I know we saw George have that issue last week with the uh, pneumatic valve pressure issue. But um, overall, the reliability of these, of these cars is superb. Oh, yeah. I think it's seven years into this... Uh into these new, uh, well, the big regulation changes. And I just wonder, could they, this could well be a factor that because teams are slightly putting a focus on next season and probably not being as extreme with their development, because obviously the more extreme you go with development, the more you're stressing the cars, obviously the different parts, that could cause reliability issues. So I do think the combination of these regulations being sta- fairly stable for seven years now plus the emphasis being on next season, is probably contributing to the reliability levels that we're seeing at the moment. Mm, and, and that could be ever more present, given that in the last week, or the last couple of days, I should say, there was a huge gathering of the engine manufacturers, the FIA, uh, Formula One, of course, and the Volkswagen Working Group, particularly Porsche and Aldi, discussing the new engine regulations of 2025 and beyond, which, of course, the focus is going to be more towards greener energies, mm. but of course, not making them so complex so that we can try and encourage newer engine providers, as we said, from the Volkswagen Working Group to come into the sport, maybe in a capacity where they enter their own teams in the future. Hopefully that's what it comes to, but it's so, so early to talk about that in more depth. Um, I mean, from what I've heard, Courtney, they're very much there, their presence is noted. It's very much there um, to, you know, to be very much as involved as the other existing manufacturers are. Of course, Honda will not be a part of that from next season after they're leaving uh, to chase their own ventures elsewhere. But um, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. They haven't indicated that they're going to be looking to enter a team, but if things seem to go the way that they would hope them to, at least they're allowing it to be feasible to enter a team, I do not see why they wouldn't consider it a lot more strongly than perhaps they are at the moment, but let's wait and see on that one. Um there's not much more that we can really say on this one, Courtney. As I said, fantastic result for Verstappen and Red Bull doing it once again. Mercedes, we've worked to do to catch up with. Well, obviously, this is the last of the triple header. It's um, It's gone by blur so far this season. We're nine races yeah. in, but um, hopefully in the 10 days that follow, Mercedes will be able to find some more answers and find a way, at least by the British Grand Prix, to try and get back on terms with Red Bull or at least start to close the gap because I think we can all agree that as fun as this championship has been so far, we need Mercedes to be back in that fight with Red Bull because right now Verstappen and Red Bull are completely running away with it at the moment. Yeah, we couldn't have pulled it any better, Adam. I think, yeah. For the sake of this championship, we've still got, what, 14 races? Mm. In theory, they have time to turn it around, but they need to do it right now. Absolutely. Um, guys, just as a reminder, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about Lewis Hamilton signing his new deal in a bit more depth, why he signed his two-year deal now, why uh, they didn't sign a, a longer deal earlier, like last season, as we were expecting, and, of course, what that could mean for the second driver at Mercedes and who we think that will be. So make sure to join us for that one. It will be coming out later this week coming. And, of course, for those of you 
that haven't already, please consider giving a like to this episode if you enjoyed it. And please subscribe to the DNF1 channel. We're chasing 500 subscribers now. That's our newest milestone. Please, please consider helping us get to that milestone and join the DNF1 family. We've got more great content coming your way. And of course, if you're listening to us on major podcasting platforms, thank you so much for following us and continue to support us. We really, really do appreciate this as an independent F1 podcast. It means a lot for you guys to engage with us. And of course, make sure to leave a comment in the YouTube video if you've got any uh, opinions that you'd like to weigh in on some of the topics we've discussed especially with the hard racing versus penalty controversies that we saw today and all that's left to say guys is until next time take care stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast take care see you soon Podcast Network.